Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the PhD Podcast. My name is Mitch. I'll be taking you throughout this episode of the PhD Podcast. Uh, I believe it's the fifth, fourth or fifth one. I, I, I lost count a long time ago of which one it actually is. But this one, um, you can count, is going to be one that I didn't expect. We didn't expect to be recording tonight until this morning when the news dropped that Michael Gershon was named the new head coach of the Chatham Cougars. Uh, men's hockey club so we decided to have him on he was actually requested to talk to us and it was exciting because you know you want to start to expand and what better to do than talk to a guy you've talked to several times before and Michael Gershon of course was the assistant coach at the Robert Morris University Division 1 level so he's moving just across the street and of course, following him, we're talked with Alan Saunders, of course, the owner of Pittsburgh Hockey Digest. Uh, he's had some pretty good features over the last couple days. Um, he's going to join us and talk about that. And we're going to talk about year number five of Pittsburgh Hockey Digest and how we've built what we've done here. And then closing out the show today is Gary Heeman. He, of course, is our Robert Morris men's hockey beat writer. He's going to actually uh, talk about the team a little bit from this past season and wrap things up on that senior class. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't really get too much of a, a send-off uh, with the abbreviated end of the season and the postseason. So, um, you know, we're going to talk to Gary about a lot of that stuff. And he's going to bring up his one of his favorite things that happened in the last five years uh, joining and covering hockey for us. He's one of our originals. So um, that'll be our third guest, but uh, we'll lead off now. And of course, the first guest is Michael Gershon, the new head coach of the Chatham Cougars Hockey Club, going to be playing out of Frozen Pond this season, the second one in the history of the club. Here is Michael Gershon. All right, now joining us on the PhD podcast, it is the new head coach of the Chatham Men's Cougars Hockey Club. It is Michael Gershon. Michael, how are you doing today, sir? I am great. I'm great. Very excited to uh, to be on podcast. Well, congratulations on the new gig as the uh, head bench boss at Frozen Pond for the upcoming season. Um, Newer program, of course. You're going to be the second, the second ever head coach of that program um, in their fourth. Complete. They're going into their fourth season, and the UCHC. Yeah. And um, so, what did what drew you to Chatham and the, the you know the was it the program's youth uh, something you could build? Yeah, I I think part of it was just the opportunity to become a head coach. Um, you know, obviously there's not a lot of head coaching opportunities in college that come around, you know, very often, and and then obviously one that um, is so young, you can still, uh, it can still be molded and still, um, you can still build history. And I think that really enticed me that I'll get to put my stamp on, uh, the future potentially, hopefully, uh, of a successful Chatham, uh, men's hockey team. Um, so those, those are really some of the factors that, you know, made it exciting, uh, to, to join Chatham. All right, so you have some history in the coaching ranks and the fact that you were with the Keystone Ice Miners in Connellsville, the NAHL. I believe they only lasted a season or two down in uh, down in Connellsville. And then you came to the Robert Morris and you had uh, five years as an assistant head coach. What are you bringing from your time with those two to a Division Three uh, NCAA squad? Yeah, I am excited to to get back to being a head coach. Um, you know, I was head coach for three years in the North American League and my last year was with Keystone. Uh, unfortunately it only lasted a year, but that's how I met the Robert Morris people. And, um, you know, was able to, to get onto the college scene and, and, you know, join a staff and really learn the college game. It's, it's definitely a different game than, uh, than junior hockey. So, you know, I was able to, to learn how to recruit at a different level. I mean, when I was the, the uh, GM and head coach and president in Keystone, you know, I would do hockey for only so long. And then I would go have to go and talk to sponsors or uh, VFW or actually put up dasher boards and, and do those different things that you know, junior hockey is kind of known for um, because of the, the small staff where you get to college and you just kind of concentrate on hockey stuff, you know, um, recruiting and, and then obviously the academics of the players, but it's, it's based purely on just kind of hockey. So, you know, I think I, I'm able to kind of, mix and match my head coaching experience with the college assistant coaching experience at the division one level and um, excited to bring that mix of what I've learned um, from my mentors um, and what I've learned from 
you know, being a head coach and being an assistant coach and kind of mixing, you know, trying to mix and match all that together to get the best out of these players that, uh, you know, are, are at Chatham now and, and will become Chatham, uh, you know, Cougars here in the future. Now, you came from a Division three squad whenever you played your college, uh, your college puck from SUNY Brockport. And is there something you're going to be able to lend from actually having played at that level and coached at the levels above? Yeah, I think um, I think it's always tough for people who who aren't really in the business to understand how good division three hockey is and that there are really good players that, you know, get overlooked, uh, by division one for, for multiple of multitude of reasons. Um, and, and I can really share that with the guys that, Hey, I mean, just because you're playing division three doesn't mean you can't go and play pro hockey. You know, I was lucky enough to do that. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm able to, to use that wisdom and use that knowledge of, I was able to do it. Um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, where it was a little bit less prevalent, where now, I mean, Division Three guys are, are playing in the coast and, um, you know, the best goaltender uh, in Division Three just signed with, uh, with the NHL team. Um, so you know, I think that, you know, hockey people um, understand that there's some good guys and that you can go play pro hockey. So I think playing it and being able to go and play pro hockey will give me an insight to those guys that want to do that, but also understand that, you know, I had friends that were really good and they just wanted to go and be doctors or be lawyers or, um, you know, get into the real world and, and understanding that that's perfectly fine as well. They just really love playing hockey, but understood that, you know, they didn't want to go through the grind of playing, you know, 72 games and doing, you know, three and threes or four and fives in you know, four different cities in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, and just wanted to start their careers and, and understanding that that's perfectly okay as well. So, um, you know, I think it's we're definitely going to be a, a much more uh, vocal and communicative uh, staff um, than maybe there was previous. And I just think I can use my uh, my playing experience and, and obviously my coaching experience to better direct our guys if if they want to go in, you know, into pro hockey or if they want to move on to, you know, hopefully a successful career, um, you know, in, in the business world. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we talk about that uh, that coaching experience now. I'm going to lean on your former bench boss, Derek Schooley, a little bit here. Uh, you go to Robert Morris, and then your first four seasons, you go to the Atlantic Hockey postseason in, in different fashions each time, if you think about it. Um, and you always seem to be successful, and you seem to be on another run this season before the truncated season. What can you take from that experience of being able to, you know, some of those teams – maybe weren't like the previous teams. I'm not going to use the terms as good as, but weren't like the previous teams and having to adjust to different strengths. What are you going to, like, what are you going to take from those, um, that experience of Robert Morris and take it to Chatham? Yeah, obviously we, we did it every different way, you know, when we got to those four and, you know, I wish we would have won one of them. You know, it's, it, it stinks always being the bridesmaid and never the bride. So, um, you know, I think what we did a good job as a staff, uh, at Robert Morris was putting belief into the guys when I don't want to say when it mattered because every game matters in college, but you know, you get into playoffs and you get into play and you get into playoffs in, in NHL in D one or D three, and you have an opportunity to win on any given night. And, you know, I think that was a challenge for us because, you know, you go two years and three years of getting into the finals, um, or I think it's actually six or seven, mm-hmm. um, you know, before I was even there and, and the guys get used to that, like, okay, we're going to make the playoffs and then we're going to go on a run. So it was a challenge for us to, you know, to keep them not interested in the regular season, but make sure we're, we're playing the right way but we always knew going into playoffs that we were going to win and we were going to get to the, um, to the tournament. It was just a belief that had been built up, you know, from the staff to the players and, and really, I mean, for the most part from the players, right. They're the ones that are going out there and doing it. So, you know, I think from, from my standpoint, it's making sure there's belief in our room, right. The, the record hasn't been great, but none of that matters because it's a, it's going to be a new staff for the most part. Um, you know, it's going to be a clean slate and, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, my record there is zero and zero. So, you know, we, we want to start something special, but we also want to win, right. And we want to win potential championships and you you can't do that unless you don't, you know, unless you get to the playoffs. 
you know, I think if we can start to get that mindset of, you know, we want to make the playoffs this year and then we'll see what happens. You know, I think that's something that we can build off of every year where you're just continually to get better, um, you know, during the regular season, make sure you're playing your best uh, hockey towards the end of the year, get into the playoffs and kind of see where things go uh, from there. But I think the, you know, one of the biggest things is obviously the belief in the room of the players at Robert Morris come, come, you know, mid February was okay. You know, we're going to make the playoffs and we're going to go on a run and no one can stop us. And I think, you know, there were probably some teams that didn't want to see us um, in playoffs because they had that, you know, we step on the ice, even this year, we lost the first game to Holy cross and they were a really good team. We won the second game and I came in after the game and I told Ryan Crothers, uh, you know, who's, this is his first year. I said, okay, here we go again. You know, this is just what's going to happen. And we went out and we beat them, you know, pretty, pretty handily, um, you know, in game three. And it was just the mindset of, you know, our guys weren't going to lose. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that I'll probably take is just the mindset of, you know, the players and getting them to you know completely buy into to the belief of, of the program. I guess I'll step off the ice for my final question here. Of course, if you listened at the beginning, you heard um, Michael's young son, uh, Jackson. Um, Michael, how special was it to be able to find uh, that head coaching job not very far from Robert Morris? I mean, you, you can't think about it. You don't have to uproot your family. It, it has got to be something special. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't looking to to leave Robert Morris. Um, you know, when they, when Chatham reached out to me, you know, it was something that it, it was something to think about just because of the location. You know, I, I really enjoyed my time at Robert Morris. You know, I think that there's a lot of championship quality players, um, on that team. And I think that they've got the potential to do a lot of damage over the next couple of years with, with the guys that they have on that team. And, um, so it was definitely hard even thinking about leaving the program. But when you get the opportunity, like I said at the beginning, to be a, a head coach and then obviously not have to uproot your family um, and, and get to kind of be in the same area you've been for, you know, this is five years now, uh, especially as a former, you know, pro player for right after college, I think for the last, for, you know, seven of the six of the seven years that I was coaching, I moved from different city to different city. So it was, it was nice to be able to put down some roots and, and obviously be able to continue those roots, um, you know, here in Pittsburgh. All right. Well, Michael, I thank you for coming on. Good luck on this upcoming season. I can't wait to see you up there in the purple and white. Great. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> for see you me. out there. Take care. That was Michael Gershon, the new head coach of the Chatham Cougars men's Division Three hockey club. I'm Brian Mitchell. We will be back momentarily with our next interview. All right, joining us now on the PhD podcast, he's the owner of Pittsburgh Hockey Digest and one of our better features writers because honestly, we don't have any real writers on our squad. Uh, this is Alan Saunders. Alan, how you doing? Wow, way to roast the whole company. Uh, nice, nicely <laughs> done, Mitch. Oh uh, man, I, I'm gonna hear about that at our next board meeting. Um. No, I'm doing good. Uh, missing hockey, but uh, getting by. We've had a lot of news, so that's been good. And yeah, you've been writing uh, a lot lately on the yeah. website. So, well, I've got nothing else going on, so I really don't have many excuses for not right. uh, writing more these days. Uh, so you know, you know, usual off-season stuffs going on, uh, player drafts and recruiting and coaching changes and all that stuff that uh, usually happens in the off-season is still happening. So. Still cover it. Yeah, absolutely. And in everything that's been going on, you know how it was it was a lull as soon as everything started to happen. And now we seem to have like I was just mentioning to you off air, you know, I went to look for one of your articles and it was out of our top four. And I didn't even realize how much we actually had on the site at this point. It just all seemed to happen real fast. So Let's yeah, there's just been a, you know, I think the first couple of weeks, everyone was kind of trying to figure out how things were going to go forward. Um, still sort of in shell shock over the end of the season and the way everything just kind of stopped. But I think now it's going to be a regular off season. I think hockey is going to operate as if things are going to happen this fall. I, mean, I don't know if they will or not, but, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the way everyone's going to operate. And, you know, maybe unlike a bunch of other sports, uh, it's not like there's a lot of hockey things that, that we're going to miss that generally happen over the summer. You know, for the most part, guys get away from the rink. 
And uh, well, they so, can't go to the rinks right now, so yeah. So, but I mean, I think it's going to be pretty typical, right? I mean, we missed out on the national championships uh, as far as the recruiting, you know, time. You know, that that's probably important. Um, but really, I mean, I think it's going to be a pretty typical hockey off season uh, for the levels below the NHL, anyway. Yeah, if you think about it, we look at that, and you had you do the write up on the uh, kids that were selected in the OHL draft from the Penns Elite. And, you you know, the U15s get their time on, this, on, this, on the silver stage at this point. And, you know, you look at some of those names, and one sticks out in my mind is one that you've already seen plenty of, the brothers of the Cooley. The Cooley brothers are all just now, you know, coming into their own. And I believe, if I remember correctly, Eric told me, or you, I can't remember who he told, but I think the kid, the, the youngest brother is going to be the best of us, and he was selected. So, uh, that was Logan Cooley. Yeah, they're, you know, they're from West Mifflin area, and uh, obviously uh, they've got, what, now one playing at uh, Niagara, who is going to be a junior, right? Yeah, it seems like that there. fast. Yeah. But uh, Lo- uh, that's Eric Cooley. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, no, he'll be a senior at Niagara. And, oh, yeah, we uh, went up there. We were there for his freshman year. That was when we went to Niagara. Correct, correct. Yeah. With the new staff up there with uh, uh, Jason Lammers, so who's obviously his fourth season up there. A, a North Allegheny guy. And now they've got a whole collection of local players. They've got uh, Chad Luke Veltry. Chad Veltry and uh, Christian Gorsak will be going Gorsak's up there. Gorsak's going to be going up there next year. Yeah. So they'll have a, a, a whole four local players. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, he's up there. And then uh, Logan is. Uh, I guess he's eight. I think he's he is going to be with the. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. He was drafted in the OHL, and uh, he's also uh, supposed to play for the uh, under seventeen team, the U.S. national team. So I'm not sure uh, where he's going to end up yet. I, I don't think I'm, I'm trying to look up here. I don't think I, I saw some rumored stuff, but I haven't seen any official announcement as to which way right. he's going to go there. And obviously, when you get selected. Um, and the OHL system, you know, you kind of have to pick. You have to pick if you want to continue on the American system through the progression or if you want to go to the Canadian side and mm-hmm. kind of like get one shot at it usually. And so that's a tough decision uh, for those 15-year-olds to make. Um, it's not easy. Uh, and it generally involves leaving the country, uh, especially, you know, Hamilton not too, too far, just uh, in between Niagara Falls and Toronto there. But uh, It looks yeah, like tough. he's committed to Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. So he has a Notre Dame commitment that's for 2022. Yeah. So if he wants to stay with the national team development program, he would play there uh, for the 2021 and 2022 seasons, and so the 2021 and 21, 22 seasons, and then uh, for the 17 under 17 team, and then for the under 18 team, and then he would go to Notre Dame, or he can throw all that away and go to the OHL with Hamilton, an 11th round pick. I mean, I would think off the, the the general kind of top of my head, I would assume that he's more likely uh, to stay with the national team and Notre Dame. But another player that is in the same boat is a Colby Saganiak, who is another one of those uh, Penn's elite players. Now, the difference with him is that he was drafted much higher. He was taken in, I believe, the, was it the second round? Um, and, it, again, his national team development program, a player and he's committed to Penn state as a 2021. So that's someone to really watch um, for, from a college hockey perspective, obviously we're talking about Penn state a lot uh, just down the road, uh, whether or not one of their top recruits will be sticking with them or be going to the OHL. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you talk about those OHL, you, you know, we talk about the OHL and, you know, those going to Erie, especially I'm going to go to Erie. Cause like I was there a couple weeks ago and actually saw the Otters play, and I'm trying to come up with that information right now, what I'm trying to get my point. <laughs> and um, the local talent seems to be moving around. We had Alex Gritz go up there, and a couple, you know, he moved, of course, moved around to Youngstown, and now he's he's got to t- dip his toes in what he's going to be doing next in his career. He uh, doesn't have the NCAA commitments anymore. Um, but you look at that, and... You know, the talent's just starting to grow in this area, and you're seeing it through the Penn's Elite program and the OHL drafts and the NAHL drafts and things like that over the last couple seasons. 
Yeah, I think there's three or four players that'll be in the OHL next year for sure. Uh, could be could be one or two more. And, I, you know, the OHL is the top league. There's no question about that for, for players from this area. Uh, I think when you're, it, you know, if you're a first or second round pick and you're going to the OHL, great. I mean, I think that's great. That's the best, that's the best and fastest path to professional hockey. I think the question uh, a lot of guys have is if you're a little farther down that list, do you want to take the, the group grits had to take where he, you know, he goes to, I think it was on three OHL or two OHL teams that ended up in the queue mm-hmm. uh, at the end of last year. Uh, you know, if you're going to bounce around a little bit, it's a tougher path. You know, I think the, the American system provides a little more stability and also provides guys for longer to mature before they get thrust out into the, the real world of hockey. Right. I mean, if you're going the OHL route, if you're lucky enough to get an overage spot, you're 21, and then you're done. Your 22-year-old season, you're going to be a pro hockey player. Yep. You're not going to be playing at all. And there's 21-year-old freshmen in college hockey, mm-hmm. right, who still have four more years of their career left. So I just think it rushes the process for a lot of people. It makes for a difficult decision for a guy who's still very young, maybe still growing into his body, still not quite sure uh, you know, how good they're going to be. But you know, it's great that a lot of people from this area are having that decision. And yeah, I mean, you don't talk about the, the number of guys that are in college hockey. I mean, since we've been doing this, I don't ever remember as many as there are committed for this fall playing in, in, in colleges this fall. I think we're up over two dozen now. Yeah. Basically have a whole team uh, of college hockey players with uh, connections to Pittsburgh area. And it's awesome. Yeah, we we're hard pressed not to mention Aiden Campbell. Um, they're talking about the NHL draft this year. You know, in his birth year, yes. the opportunity. Seneca Valley goaltender uh, up at Erie uh, had a pretty good year. Um, I think he's probably going to get drafted. He's got great size and, and athleticism. I think if the numbers were a little bit better this year, uh, he definitely would get would get picked. Uh, it's probably um, you know not a sure thing, but I think he will. And you know, that's a tough adjustment to make from playing. Uh, PIHL hockey to the OHL. That's a long way to go in a season and a half. And yeah. uh, he's done it. And uh, I think there's there's also a chance that uh, a guy like Austin Swankler, who was actually eligible as a mm-hmm. very, very young uh, player last year, could get picked this time around as well. Uh, and there's another handful of guys um, that are uh, those uh, like the 01, 02 uh, that are committed to colleges that, that have a outside chance to get drafted there could be more than one but i think i think uh, those are the big two when you're looking at the nhl draft from this area yeah and you think about that and you know we're, we had mentioned you know how you know in the time that we've been doing this you haven't seen like and it's hard pressed because a lot of these guys like um swankler he didn't play too much locally you know before he actually went to play out in a you know went through the uh otters organization so if you think about that for a little bit, it's kind of a rough trip because he didn't. I don't believe he played high school whenever he was down here. So I think he played Penn's Elite and then he went uh, the other routes. So um, it's interesting uh, to look at and see how that uh, the progression is. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think he went away to play even midget. Yeah, uh, hockey. So I mean, he he had. I think his last season in Pittsburgh area was his 15 year old season. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you so. don't you don't gonna hear about that anywhere else. You don't know about that, but you know, right down the road from us. So <laughs> you know, same district that you're in right now. So, but yeah, uh, and I think that's um, something that as we look at the site and something we want to do going forward, I think we probably need to pay a little bit more attention to the 15s because that is the situation where that might be our our sort of last best shot to get a good look at these guys and to get to know them before their career takes them elsewhere and they become a name on a spreadsheet. Uh, that we don't really know, we just keep track of. Yeah, and uh, maybe that's something that we'll try to do a little bit more going forward. And I've said it's it's easier the last couple seasons, is that it, we basically have just built around our base and then grew around that, and we're starting to add more and more as the years come across. So I don't think everybody realizes how tough this is out there to be able to cover. And <laughs> I think we held it close to our chest the first season. And then it was like a tree. We just created another ring around every time, and now we're covering something new, and now we're covering something more. Now we're looking at something bigger, and the bigger picture starts to come around, and then everything's starting to come full circle. Um, 
I, I mentioned it last year all the time, and it's 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 one of those crazy things. And I bring back to the same line that I always bring: Roman Kramer. We watched him play for Sarah Catholic, <laughs> you know, then come up through Penn's Elite, and then play for Johnstown a little bit in Youngstown, and now he's with Robert Morris. You know, there's what can you say at this point about things like that? You know, those situations. I mean, it, it happens. Th- those are coming around here. It's starting to happen a little more often as we continue to move on. Yeah, and those are the fun ones. And you know what? I think, uh, you know, kind of tying into uh, the other guest here today, uh, and uh, Mike Gershon, who is just the new head coach at Chatham, is that I think, you know, the, having a, a successful Division three program in this area will add more opportunities for us to tell those stories. I mean, I think – you know, that's sort of the one thing that, I mean, the, the Chatham programs in its fourth year are going to go into its fourth year. Um, but really, I mean, having, being able to build that would really be the sort of the last link, the last piece that we haven't really uh, covered, you know, maybe to an in-depth level mm-hmm. uh, that if we had a successful team, I'm, I'm sure that we would. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that, that's a nice thing about what's going on with Chatham right now is that both coaches, Michael O'Grady and now, uh, Michael Gershon have just reached out to us and it's nice to see like you know we're interested we know you know we want to bring these programs to a forefront we want to show that there's more to Pittsburgh when it comes to college hockey and they're they're definitely in that mindset of hey you know we're here let's ha- let's talk about Berg hockey let's talk about how it's going to grow and that was the nice thing that come from both of these because they both reached out to us. I mean, yeah. I mean, Gershon today, of course, everything dropped in one day, but we've known Michael for how many years now? So, uh, from Robert Morris. So, that's a nice thing. But, you know, you're now going to be able to see and grow a little bit. And that, yeah, maybe that's the next layer of the tree. Then we, we figure out how we're going to do. I mean, uh, Alan Saunders, can you believe it'll be five years? Uh, no. Five no, years I, in October. The The really scary thing is when I think about, like, like got so like like guys that like oh you know five years for this site I've been, we've been covering college hockey together for I don't know geez since about what fourteen fifteen yeah. I, I started covering with you college hockey with you in about two thousand and fourteen we started yeah, four, fourteen and we, so there's guys that we covered as like sophomores and juniors that have retired. like that's that's starting to get a little scary yeah going Uh, into the coaching ranks and things like that yeah stop yeah right if they could stop that that would be great uh just stay where you are i don't need to feel any older than i actually am yeah that's that's, i always joke around and that's like i i started covering women's collegiate hockey when kirsten welsh was still taking penalties now she's calling them She's going into her second year calling them. So, like, yeah, I joke about that all the time whenever we're around. But, uh, you know, it's five five years this year. Um, I can't believe it. It'll be the fifth season of the PhD podcast coming up next year. But uh, There you go. All right, man. Well, we're already, like, doubled the time that uh, we would. No, I'm not okay with it. It's good hockey talk. You know it. All right. It is good hockey talk, and uh, I appreciate uh, the chance to be on the podcast again. I've been hard to pin down, but I was free uh, today, and we had lots to talk about, so it was good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks for coming on. Once again, that is Alan Saunders. I am Brian Mitchell. This is the PhD Podcast, and we will be right back. All right, joining me now on the PhD Podcast, it is our Robert Morris men's beat writer. It is Gary Heeman. Gary, how's everything going, sir? Oh, Mitch can't complain. I mean, you know, you well, let me rephrase that. You could right now, but you know, it's not going to do anybody any good. And uh, you know, we're just waiting this thing out like everybody else, and I'm um, staying home, staying safe when when we're not at work. And that's the one thing right now. I mean, I'm, I'm an essential employee, um, just like you are. So we got to go in and, and take care of what we need to take care of. And mm-hmm. it's just a case of just being smart and staying home. We hope everybody listening to this is uh is staying safe and and we're thinking about it. Yeah, we mentioned that last night, uh, Gary and I. Well, Gary actually is a one of the hosts of the the uh, action the action track podcast, and I'm the producer of that podcast. We recorded last night, and we were talking about that a little bit with Big E, and uh, you know, just hoping everybody's staying safe out there and everything that's going on in the world. It's affecting more than just our little niche in the world. So, um, but it, it's huge. And talk about how you know that affected you a little bit. Now, you were a perennial <laughs> Atlantic Hockey Tournament. Uh, 
you know, follower. You go there every year, and this year it's oh, yeah. just weird not to be go- to not have gone to what is now Buffalo before it was Rocha Vegas. Right. Yeah. It, uh, wow. What can you say? I mean, it's it was weird not to go this year, and it's um and it's just one of those deals that. Yeah, I think I was at work when I found out the news. Um, because if you remember the day, the same day it happened, Mitch. I mean, you were watching the sports world like everybody else was. It, the dominoes just fell so quickly; it was hard to keep up with. Yeah, I, my you know, last well, my last trivia night was the night that yep. the NBA sked, like suspended their operations. That was the last night that I did trivia. <laughs> so trust yeah. me when I know it's like it's it's. I know how how fast everything came down. Yeah, it um it truly did. You're right, Mitch. It it was um it was really quick, and I can remember. That morning, just looking around and taking a break from work and seeing that, um, you know, Atlantic Hockey had, you know, had suspended their tournament. And then went from suspension to a cancellation. And, you know, AIC was awarded the, um, you know, the tournament bid, should there be a tournament. And I was like, well, that's mm-hmm. cool. I mean, they'll, they'll get a chance to, you know, do some more damage in the tournament like they did the year before, which is great to see their first time in. They, uh, they got a win, which is, looks great on Atlantic Hockey um, as, a, as a conference as a whole. And, you know, looking forward to seeing them. And then a couple hours later, bing, uh, what tournament? There won't be any NCAA tournament. Yeah, <laughs> was, that, that was that was wild. Like, it, it went from, we're going to, we canceled the Atlantic Hockey Tournament, so but you get the NCAA bid. And then we're not going right. to have fans for the Frozen Four or any of the, at the end of the tournaments. And then we're not going to have a tournament. I mean, that that's just, just, let's just wrap our heads around that. You know, the whole ideal of it like it wasn't just uh, hockey either like i thought it was crazy and they were like no march madness <laughs> i'm like no more yeah. march madness without fans are are you serious yeah, like what is what is going on here i know it's severe but and then all of a sudden no tournament so like yeah. we talk about that and i i, I spoke with Derek Scully on our initial um post uh, uh, podcast and we had mentioned it, you know, you got to feel for these seniors and these classes, especially when this team has just started to get in into the groove. And now you think about the seniors and everything. Robert Morris has had a really good run of putting players directly into professional uh, on professional teams. And right. that's just not going to happen this year, especially even that around the league. Right. I mean, we had some seniors that were clearly ready to go and make some contributions um, to minor league rosters immediately for the playoff stretch. I mean, it's it was really tragic. I mean, but you know what? Uh, you know, I I can't speak for any one particular player um, that might listen to it. But I mean, it, it, from if what you you talk to people that have graduated the program and and you know got their feelings on what it was like to play minor league hockey versus NCAA hockey. You know, what I, mean? I I think that they would give up a lot of them would give up you know being able to go play in the ECHL for a, an odd couple of playoff games. To have one championship run in NCAA, um, just for the fact that I mean, somebody that I've lots of always told me you'll it'll never feel once you leave NCAA hockey program after you graduate, it'll never it'll never feel like that brotherhood again. Oh yeah, uh, you I've... know the na- the the nature of minor league hockey is uh, can be a very transient one. I mean, you can be traded you know four or five times in a season. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, you're, it never sticks together. And one, <laughs> one me, the, not like NCAA yeah. does. One of the things I talked with Michael was. The uh, Michael Gershon, the new head coach at Chatham, former assistant coach at Robert Morris, was the the team and just how they they, they just put together these random these teams just were able to continually have success even though they were different themed teams. You know, I'll use different theme, but like their strengths were in different locations on their team. Like you had the year the year where you had the nine seniors, and you know the all the offensive firepower. I, that was the Gibson year, I believe. Oh, that was was that Mans, Mans captaincy. I, I believe that was under no Tyson, Tyson Wilson's captain Correct. that year. Tyson but you, you then, put then it, Rob Mann, yeah, then Rob Mann and Bonch and all them beyond that. But you look at that and you say, two years for this senior class, two years of AHC championship games, then a semifinal game, and then this. Yep, I, it, it's got to be rough. Now, I want to bring and take that and expand it a little bit. The last sure. five years that we've... I was talking with Alan about this. The fact that we've covered this for five, five six years now, Robert Morris, mm-hmm. they put together different teams every year. Right. Let's talk about that Correct. a little bit. And they have had success. What do you uh, attest that to? Um, you know, you, you've been... Right. We've watched this team from every year since its infancy. Yeah, it's... I You know, Mitch, I, I credit all that to just... Um, 
the um, the range of talent and the range of character in the player that that Coach Schooley and his staff have been able to uh, attract to come to the university to play hockey. Um, you know, and, and not only that, but they they've been able to change and adapt with different skill levels through those you know the years that we've been to the um, Atlantic Hockey Championships um, in either Rochester or Buffalo. I mean, some years it's been, you know, a whole lot of offense and a whole lot of end-to-end action. And sometimes it's been great goaltending and a a real tight defense that, you know, went down the body and blocked a lot of shots. Sometimes it was just a bunch of scrappy, you know, efforts that, you know, got goals when they were absolutely necessary. You know, whatever it took to get through the preliminary rounds. (laughs) You look around the other colleges and conference hockey match and you look at them, you know, coaches that have their records in the first two rounds and how good they look. I don't know that anybody better than you know Derek Schooley has, or anybody other than Derek Schooley has quite the same record in the preliminary rounds of postseason tournaments. Um, it's insane. They seemingly never lose this series. So I mean, it's yeah. I, I was thinking back right around the same time we're getting into the playoffs. Like, when's the last time we lost one of these? Because <laughs> you know you you really didn't know what was going to happen this year. Yeah, a good idea that, of course, it's it's Schooley and the talent assembled and the, the, the man in the net, which was you know a big factor all year. Can't say enough about him. Um, you know, Justin Cape Master was, when he was at his best, one of the best co- goaltenders in college hockey this season, um, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, actually, I want to stop you there. Sure. We didn't get a really good chance to talk about how good Capo Master was stepping in to the season. I mean, we talked in the preview, in the preview at the beginning of the season about Capo right. Master and how, you know, at Ferris State he was just stuck behind somebody, you know, and then he gets the opportunity at Robert Morris. Did he meet or did he exceed what you expected from the beginning of the year? Uh, he exceeded it. I mean, your your seniors are a lot of times, not every case, but a lot of times going to be your best, your worst players. Either, you know, that turns into a focused performance that you know, all season long that's just, um, you know, above and beyond expectation or it kind of lingers and deteriorates in the second half is the the lure of playing minor league professional hockey becomes more of a reality mm-hmm. you know it, it's an easy thing to lose focus on when especially if your team isn't like playing near the top of the conference sometimes you know you have to remember these we're all human beings i mean you know we mm-hmm. keep our eyes on the prize and when that prize is starting to look a little bit more like you know maybe the miners are looking like a, a fun time and i can't wait to get to them then your your performance you know it can kind of have the eyes taken off it at the um, the college level. And the second half isn't always quite as good as you'd like. We've seen it happen in a lot of cases with seniors over the years. And we've seen seniors that also rose to the occasion and, you know, really it brought out the, the, the challenge to, to win one in their college career brought out the best in their performance. Um, Justin was God, in the playoff round that we did get to watch against Holy Cross. He was complete money, everything you could ask for of a, a college hockey playoff goaltender trying to get his team to the next round. I mean, he's, you know, one of the big reasons why they were able to, to make it through a, a series where um, against Holy Cross, a series where they, in many instances, were outplaying their opponent, but were not getting any puck luck whatsoever. You know, you've got to have a team that doesn't get frustrated uh, a team that doesn't lose sight of what they need to do to get the job done. And that can only happen if you're not letting in goals. And, you know, Justin Capelmaster was one of the reasons why they were able to stabilize that series and eventually just overcome Holy Cross. Capelmaster was only here for a year, though, Gary. Um, but, you know, you've got these other seniors that have been here the entire time, just finishing up their fourth season. Um, just talk a little bit about their uh, how they what they meant to the program. Yeah, well, you look at Sean Giles. I mean, he um, he was a, a good piece of the bedrock back there on the back line for, um, for the better part of his career. Played a lot of games. Um, I think Sean just really um, he was always seemingly in a good position. Um, his defensive awareness was really good, but he also had some offensive skills too. I mean, he could move the puck, get out of danger, um, you know, score the odd goal, the odd point when you need him to. Um, you know, and was more or less a a plus player for a lot of the a lot of his time here. Plus, for at level, um, I really uh, I think that um, you look at his the games he played, 131 games in a four year career, that's an achievement right there. You don't get a lot of defense when they got to play all four years and playing 131 games without getting hurt. So, you know, he um, he was right there when you needed him every night you needed him, and that was a, a big key to to have stable components back there on the back line because everybody can get used to a player like that and know their facts and tendencies and how they like to play and, and the things that they like to do. 
Yeah. Um, and, and Sean can get that puck out with the best of them. So we're definitely going to miss that calming influence back there. Same goes for Alex Robert, except for maybe Alex had a little bit more of an offensive edge that came out and played out over his four-year career. Um, you know, but I really think his upside was amazing. Um, Alex, you know, would have made a really great and will probably eventually when we get back on, should he choose to go that route, make a, um, a really good minor league defenseman too. Um, you know, I, I think he, he's got the, the knack for professional hockey, um, you know, just enough size to, to be durable enough, you know, against bigger players. Um, but he, uh, he, he really has, I will say this about Alex. He's good you know, in doing what he needs to do to, to help, you know, get the puck out of the net and help get it up to the forwards um, and help the puck in transition. But um, he's also got penalty kill and power play experience too. I mean, he's a multi-purpose defenseman that really has, um, you know, a, how do we say it? Master of all trade or Jack of all trades, master of and none. Trade, yeah. Yep. I think we could definitely say that about Alex Robert, but he's just, he's just good at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can always use a defenseman like that, and they're going to miss that. He was a big part of that defensive core back there for years, especially the last two. Wow, he um, he really he grew into his his game, so to speak, here, and it was really great to watch that um, that process with him. Um, so they're going to lose that, and then also in Michael Coyne up front. You look at the um, this year's up front, Mikey Coyne was just one of those kids that really um. Yeah, you know, I, I almost call him a brick waller, uh, you know, where the sort of player that a coach says, hey, run through that brick wall, kid, and the kid doesn't just, okay, coach, no problem. That, that, and he'd do anything to, to get a sweater. That was the nice, that was the big thing, because if you remember, there was a lot of influx about this team whenever it first right. came out, when they first brought them in as freshmen, and a lot of players were just trying to find their spots, and Michael Coyne spent a lot of his freshman and sophomore year on the bench, like he didn't get exactly get to get on the ice as often as he wanted to, and then into his junior and and senior seasons, he really came into his own. And I remember the day that I was in the I was in the huddle after he had that big I believe it was in the huddle after he had that really big uh, overtime goal. Yeah. And he, you know, the, the conversation I had with uh, Derek is he, he just earned his you know he's earned his right to come in and be that guy. Like he is a voice in the locker room. He has become this leader. Uh, you know, and you're talking about a player that just really didn't get too much time to play. You know, get, didn't get a lot of minutes his first two seasons. Really came into his own in the last two years. Absolutely, and um, he does a little bit of everything really well too. I mean, uh, he, you know, he's, he had the skills that when called upon, he could, you know, he could provide for the offense. But he also could play, you know, the game the right way, which is to say that um, he didn't make a lot of mental errors, um, didn't make a lot of errors overall with the puck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, was a physical presence too, and that's an understated part of Michael Coyne's game. Was a physical presence back there too, I mean, up front. He was a physical presence. He um, he could really finish his checks, and you know, do the, a lot of the the thankless work that you know the third and fourth line forwards tend to do. I mean, you know, Michael did a lot of time on top lines per se. While he was at Robin Morris, but um, you know, he understood his role and he fulfilled it, and um, was everything. I'm pretty sure Derek would tell you he was everything a coach could could ask for. Really. Yeah, and he earned that alternates A in the middle of the season. Yes. I remember that I looked at Matt Geica, who was, I believe, the SID at the time, and neither other both of us. I looked at him and said, "When did Mike get the A?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yep, I didn't even know that Mike got the A." That's going to be a question we have to have in the post because that was right when they were wearing the, uh, I believe it was the, uh, the cancer awareness. I want to say was that the mm-hmm. that weekend, and they had the special yeah, purple jerseys, so. and that's whenever right. we first realized he was wearing the A, and it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely eye opening about how much he's actually risen on that, you know, as a respect level for on the squad, and that that that's, that was awesome to see. Absolutely. And we'd be, you know, we can't leave without talking about you know, a few more here. Um, Luke Lynch definitely was a big, huge part of the offense for most of his career. Rob Morris, um, you know, was a good captain. Um, the senior year for Luke, I'm pretty sure even he would, you know, Luke is an accountable person and Luke is a, a stand-up guy. He would probably tell you it didn't go the way he wanted it to. Um, you know, and it wasn't that he would, I think that's the thing that may have been frustrating for Luke this year. It wasn't that he wasn't trying. I mean, you, I mean, the wheels were still turning. Um, you can see the effort was still there. You know, it, it was just sometimes I think this was a hard team to to really gel offensively for parts of the season. Um, sometimes they looked like they had it together. Of course, this was also a team, Mitch, that was hurt for so long. And, like, you know, everybody was sitting around the new line mate seemingly every other weekend. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was hard to get used to people. Um, I think that probably played a lot into it. Um, the injuries didn't really, the injuries didn't really help Luke and his progression offensively. Um, you know, it just, you know, it, it, it was a year that the regular season didn't go his way, but I mean, he really, you know, was putting forth the effort out there and overall in the four years, you know, he winds up in colonial history as a, as a hundred point forward and a guy that could uh, strike from anywhere on that surface, um, you know, and came up with huge hits. I mean, Luke could come up with a hit that could really change the momentum of a game, of a game you know, and he was always <laughs> the one thing you got to love about him. He was always one to get into other people's kitchens. And he, mm-hmm. he was a player that opponents had to think about. Um, you know, that was the one thing that you noticed about with Luke was that he could, he could unhinge another team's best player a little bit and get him to play off their game for an entire 60 minutes. Yeah. Then you had two more, I believe, on that squad, Jake Coleman and uh, Daniel Mantenuto. Oh, God. Lots, oh, too much love here. I mean, you know, I, can, can I can I make one? Can we make Jake Mantenuto or, you know, because they're, they're one great person. <laughs> we put them together. I, I don't want it to sound like that, but nah. they're different players. They're different players, but they both accomplish a lot of the same things. Um, Jake Coleman didn't come in starting with a lot of great – offensive output which could be hard for some freshmen but jake was from the minute he stepped on the ice was um a physical presence um even with a diminutive stature i mean you're looking at a kid that you know was was tiny by nca division one standards i mean five seven one sixty two um but he was fast oh my god he could skate so well he skates so well he hit like a ton of bricks Oh my that, god! That was, he could go through people. You you would just watch this this small little fireball shoot down the ice and absolutely lay out a guy who was one and a half times his size. It was oh, yeah. it was insane yeah. to watch. He could go through people, and yeah. you'd, be, you'd be you'd be thinking that you're going to see him on the ice. I was like, oh my <laughs> god! You know, I, I I hope Jake didn't hurt him, but I hope Jake is okay because mm-hmm. my god, he really threw everything he had into that. You know, but he, Jake, another, just like Luke, I mean, Jake could really take on another team's best player and change the momentum of the game. Um, and then the skills came in towards the end. Jake also scored important goals. I mean, goals that brought you back in the contest mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And that leads me right into Daniel Mantenuto, who did the same thing. Now, Manny could, Manny shown his brightest when the game was on the line. I mean, yes. I, the, the, big, the biggest disappointment probably for the senior year you know, one of them for the program, I think, it was just the fact that Daniel Mantino missed so much of it. Because if we had him, a lot of these one-goal games, some of them could have been, you know, tied games or games that went to overtime. Because he was good about, you know, finding that goal to, to tie a game or, or give your team a lead, give the team a lead. He was, um, he was so, just it, that, yeah, just that guy that you could rely on to win the faceoff if you need to set up that play or even, you know, to get that big goal. Being in the right place at the right time is one of the best things he could do. Right, and the one thing you can say about you know, Coyne and Coleman and Mantenuto and even Lynch, you look at the four of them and you go, I never saw them ever take a shift off. I mean, you know, no. you, you can spot you can spot some players that you know, are coasting a little bit more than others mm-hmm. if you're paying attention to the game. Um, I never saw any one of those players, for Rob Morris I just mentioned, I never saw them take a shift off. No, absolutely they, they were, not. They were always giving their all. I mean, yeah, I, I wish we could clone them for the the coming season. <laughs> but you know what? That, that's the that's the thing, and a lot of that's reciprocal. They learn that from the teams prior, and they're leaving that their mark on the teams that are coming up. You know, you yes. see players like Roman Kramer, who was very high and highly touted throughout the season, and pr- showed a couple of his you know so, showing some flashes. Um, Sammy Hart to Kynan. He, uh, I keep, I probably keep botching his name, and I apologize to that. But Terry Hardikainen. I got close. I got close. Um, but there, there is like, you know, you, you <laughs> see those players, and they have the, they have that same skill set in them, and to have players oh, yeah. like that, who are in the, you know, th- those players, showing them, right. hey, this is successful at this level. This is what you know. I, this is how, this is how you can be successful at this level. It may not work in the first year or so, but keep building on it. You'll get your opportunity, and that's what you're going to end up getting. 
I think they're, they're, the both players just mentioned, Mitch, I think are going to be key pieces for the Colonials going mm-hmm. forward. I think um, you know, Roman showed this, especially in the second half. He, he Towards the end, he did not look lost at all. He looked like he was right where he belonged. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that you look at when you're evaluating freshmen. You know, towards the end of the year, after after there's no more freshmen left, because remember, after Christmas. After, after Christmas, Christmas, there are no more no freshmen, more freshmen. your NCAA hockey players. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but in the second half, when, when you really start to look forward for progression, mm-hmm. um, he was showing you that he had a good way of playing the puck around the net. He was always in the areas where the puck was in a position to score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the goals will come for Roman, but his effort level was very impressive. Um, I look for big things out of him. Santeri, I think we're looking at a, a guy that could really be a, a potential game changer for the Colonial offense. Maybe one that we haven't quite had come along in the last mm-hmm. year or two. Um, you know, and certainly injuries have played a part in some of the progression of, you know, freshmen to sophomores and sophomores to juniors here. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Grant Haybear, you know, who, you know, has the potential, my God, to be a 30, 35, you know, plus point man in NCAA hockey. And he hasn't been, you know, healthy for any great stretches for his career, basically, it seems like. Right, um, just been you know, bad luck so far. And, you know, get, exactly. give, him, give him a, if, you, if he get he's one of those players that if he gets, that season of, you know, hey, everything's going my way, he's going right. to turn some heads that people aren't going to realize it. And that's just one of those – he's just one of those players. And, you know, you also have Adamo who's just, you know, lurking in the shadows right now. It was a little bit of a down season for the fig forward. But, you know, you talk about that and those type of players. You know, you have a – and he, he mentioned that. That was something that Michael Gershon mentioned earlier is, you have a very talented squad, and it was hard for him. To, he said he was hard for him to leave that squad with right. as much talent that's around it. So there's a lot to say there about that. There is. I mean, I, I think um, yeah, the the compass points north. Obviously, um, we were losing some great players. We've got some great players coming on board, though. I mean, I'm looking at you know just a a few of them right now. The one thing that when you look at freshmen coming in, you look to look at their background, what need to come from, what team and coach they may have been influenced by. I, I won't even thing, go that far I, I, at this point. The, the, the one thing, yeah. exactly, the one thing you can never do is expect stats to translate. I was yeah. taught that lesson very young in my you know hockey mm-hmm. journalism career was just the fact that you can't be looking up junior stats and saying, oh, well, that, you know, 70 points is going to equate to about 25 points in, you know, 34 NCAA games in a regular season. It doesn't work like that. It never really seems to work like that. The only thing the stats are good for is they they indicate maybe who to keep an eye on to to do what role. I mean, you can say, okay, well, if this person played in this league, had this many points, against that level of competition and played on the line with this guy and this guy is like, I could see where they may be projecting him to be a, you know, a line mm-hmm. more line two winger. You know, you might be able to do that, but you never really think about numbers translating over to NCA numbers. Having said that, um, looking at Matt Guerra, Guerra from Fort Worth right now as being a, a potential um, kind of top two line player um, from Fort Worth, of course, would be on NAHL. And, um, and from the AJ up in um, the Alberta Junior League with the Brooks Bandits right now, Randy mm-hmm. Hernandez, um, you know, from Miami, Florida, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> really, you could see the light come on for him, um, you know, and turning it into a 95-point season this past year. Wow. I mean, in 57 games. So you're obviously looking at it thinking, okay, well, you know, we've got some players here coming in that are going to be, you know, really talented. But what they do with that is up to them. Um, the coaches select them and – uh, we have a great, you know, coach and coaching staff at Robert Morris. We don't pick bad kids. I mean, as a program, um, you know, every program is going to say that, of course. But you know, there have been nothing. There really have been nothing but character kids coming through the program since the inception of the program. So they, you know, you know what they bring. They they bring somebody that's going to, you know, do what they're told for the most part um, and work on skills. Because a lot of times when you when you're when you're getting recruits from where we're getting them from and at the stage in their junior career where they are, we're talking about players that may be in need of a, of a skill that they need to refine and get better at. You know, but those have already been identified. And there's a, the great thing about the program is there's a plan from day one, the minute they get on campus, for how they're going to work on improving what they need to improve. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm just looking over um, 
you know, just the background of the, the current coming, the current incoming class. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think, um, you know, once some seasoning and some experience come their way, they could really be, you know, a lot better, you know, in the wind column next year, sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're going to flip the script here. And I don't, I talked to Alan right before I talked to you. And we were actually had a conversation sure. on the podcast right before we talked to you. And uh-huh. we mentioned year number five coming up for Pittsburgh Hockey Digest. You've been with us from the beginning. Yes. Yes, we have been around <laughs> as long as Nick Jenny. Um, <laughs> I, I can make <laughs> yes, that joke. We have. I can make that joke because he's a, he'll, he'll be a senior, true senior day this year. Um, but, I can remember the I can remember the I can remember being in the um, the paint can and, and you and I were both talking about this guy Jenny just dressed. I guess he came up early. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, we actually got that <laughs> news. We got that news in the press box <laughs> that they signed this mm-hmm. kid Nick Jenny to early, and he, <laughs> but he wasn't able to dress. Like he didn't dress his entire first year, so that he got he right. didn't have to worry about blowing the year of eligibility, but. You know, we joked about that, but anyway, we're going to say that. I'm going to I'm going to step back and I'm going to ask you one question and answer it sure. however you want. In the PhD uh, era, which is the last four seasons, what uh-huh. is your favorite moment of ever anything of anything hockey wise? Uh, favorite moment of favorite moment of favorite moment of anything. Um, I want to say. God, I, I can only pick one. They're, they're all. Yeah, all I'm, I'm sticking you to one, Gary. God, this is this should only be a 45 minute show, but we're coming up on an hour's. <laughs> okay, well, it's I okay. Going. <laughs> no. Um, I'm gonna pick um you know, a big five to two win over the UMass Lowell River Hawks in the paint can. In the um, paint can. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. Um, I it was um during the um the old Pittsburgh Hockey Showcase, the College Hockey Showcase, we're doing there, and um at the time I can remember thinking that you know. We pulled off a lot of upsets as a program where we were not following the script of, you know, taking the team's best punch and just kind of holding on and, and turtle shelling everything and maybe getting the goal on the power play and pulling off an upset win. I think a lot of people thought that when they saw Robert Morris, Stuns, whomever, insert number one ranked team here in the headlines, they just kind of assumed that some goalie made 55 saves and, you know, you got you know, a, a, a lucky bounce and won the game. I can remember that was one of the first games I saw where you could look at the way the ice was that night and the way the game went that night against a top five team, a team that was a national championship contender and say, you could never say that Robert Morris just hung on to this one. Mm -hmm. They actually were the better team for 60 minutes. I mean, it's, it was like, it was a good feeling to know that it was something that nobody could ever take it away. Um, It was a, a game that if you saw it, you're like, this program has come from, you know, eight wins the first season and, you know, a team that couldn't really really connect a pass. Um, Logan Bill will tell you more about the first practice they ever had. I'm sure he's probably filled you in before. Um, the first time they ever got on the ice and, like, quite literally, the puck never hit anybody else's stick. Um, you know, it went from that to walking into these games and expecting to, to win um, in that short time period. That was amazing to see. It was great to see that, you know, they weren't just pulling off these upsets um, just on the virtue of catching somebody when they weren't looking and, and playing a complete defensive game. They were skating up and down that ice beating these teams. They were going back and forth. They were taking chances. And the other team was getting some good shots on goal. The Colonials were getting better shots on goal mm-hmm. and putting more of those pucks in the net. When you saw those games, you, it felt like this program had arrived. Um, you know, that there is nobody in the country they should ever be afraid of to play because they can beat anybody in the country and that anybody that walks into a game with them is going to have a time on their hands. Um, and I think that um, it just, it reinforced that. And that was a great moment to watch um, in front of a, a decent sized crowd there at the pink in that night. Absolutely. Now you look at that and I, I'm going to mention this while I have to say that on the opposite side for the UMass Lowell, Michael Loria. That was yep. the, that was the game he played for you at UMass Lowell against the uh, against. Then he of course he graduated from Robert Morris last season. So, all right, yep. Gary, I appreciate you coming on and joining me here today. I sure. hope you uh, everything works out for you. And we're going to get back to the action hopefully in the next couple of days for the Action Track podcast. So we'll get another Absolutely. recording going. So of course you follow that. Can't That's wait. from Learnerville Speedway. He's 
one yes. of the media relations directors up there, dirt track racing. Of course, I'm involved in that in the summer, whenever that begins. So um, <laughs> let's hope soon. I need let's some. Soon. I need some dirt in my beer, and I need some some thunder in my ears. So all right. Now, of course, once again, that is Gary Heeman. I am Brian Mitchell. This is the PhD podcast. We'll be back to close things out. I'd like to thank our guest, Gary Heeman, of course, of the Robert Morris Men's Hockey Club beat writing fame for us at Pittsburgh Hockey Digest. Our owner, Alan Saunders, coming on with me now uh, today and talking a little bit about our history. And, of course, big thanks to Michael Gershon and congratulations on the new gig with the Chatham Cougars. Uh, That's a huge Right, and of course, we discussed about how it was really cool to stay home. So, I'm Brian Mitchell. You can find me on Twitter at PhD underscore Mitch. Shoot me a DM if you want to be on the PhD podcast during the downtime. We're going to do a couple more of these before we wrap it up for the off season. I thank everybody for listening. Enjoy the remainder of your week. Hopefully, we'll be back next week, if not the following week. Uh, we'll do these as long as there is demand. So, thank you for listening. Take care. We'll see you in the rink.